Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Illustration Department podcast. My name is Giuseppe Castellano. In this podcast, I talk to folks in illustration, graphic design, publishing, animation, and other creative fields about their work, the lessons they've learned, and the bumps and bruises they've experienced along the way. In this episode, my guest is illustrator Freya Blackwood. Do you feel like you have to be perfect at drawing, at painting, at color to succeed as an illustrator? Well, don't. As Freya points out, connection is what matters in illustration, not perfection. Among other topics, Freya talks about her rule-breaking approach to picture book art. We discuss how asymmetry and imperfection may very well be the keys to a fulfilling illustration practice. And Freya and I talk about the difficult questions some illustrators face at some point. When do I know it's time to end my attempt at being an illustrator? I hope you enjoy our conversation. I've just come back from working in Sydney on a job that's been that's really pushed me quite a bit. Is it a doing mural some, or something? Oh no, it's it was some illustrations for the background for a theatre production for children's theatre production that's all sort of animated. And it's just working at a totally different speed than I'm used to. It's been fantastic, but um, I'm all over the place. <laughs> but it's, oh, it's so exciting to right. do something different. Mm. Is it interfering with your anyway. picture book work? Oh, no. No, it just makes me realize I'd like to work with more people, I think. Mm. But um, no, I've, I'm starting on a new book now, which is exciting. So... It's all good. Which yeah. which number is this? Twenty seven. No, oh, look, it might be thirty something. Okay, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I need to count them one day. I counted. Yeah, and yeah. I could. I probably got the count wrong, but it's. I had twenty six. Oh well, that's fine. That's good. I think quite a few have only been published in Australia, though. Do you find that being Australian? somehow hinders your ability to reach out into US and UK markets? Oh, definitely. Why Absolutely. is that? Because I talk to Australian oh. illustrators and this comes up and they all say the same thing. Yeah, no, I think it definitely does. I wonder whether it might be to do with... Look, I, I always feel we've lagged behind trends a fair bit. And our style of working is particularly, oh, I don't know. I don't know whether we're a bit old-fashioned. Maybe we used to be. <laughs> um, and it's not the sort of thing that appeals. But also it just seems so hard to get into the UK and the US market. Less so some European markets. Um, are, we, are we talking stylistic differences? It can't be geographical. Well, it shouldn't be now, should it? Right. It I think there's something called the internet that exists yeah. that sort of helps that. <laughs> well, and I was just thinking about that. I I started before Instagram, all of this. It's amazing how that's how that's changed the way this industry works, I think. How you know, how publishers choose illustrators. Right. It shouldn't be geographic. And somehow but, it is. But somehow it is, yeah. It it boggles the mind. Yeah, and then but then I wonder why, like you know, there's some books that are particularly Australian that I've done, and they still haven't been they haven't been picked up, 
but they don't feel so Australian that they wouldn't work in the US market, for instance. Exactly. Like a book of mine called Banjo and Ruby Red, it was gorgeous. It should have, it could work anywhere. Mm-hmm. It was just about a dog and a chicken. Everyone has dogs and chickens. But for some reason, even though I feel like it was one of my best books, it was never picked up anywhere. Yeah, so that's kind of sad, isn't it? Do you have an agent? I do have an agent, yes. And does your but agent normally I think, work on that? Well, normally I think those co-editions come about through the publishers, don't they? It does. But I would, if I were your agent, I'd, I'd get on that a little bit. No no shade, yeah. no offense to your agent. <laughs> I, would just, I would just get on that a little bit. Okay, right. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to her straight after yeah, this. Yeah, I'll call her after this. <laughs> so I understand you lived in – so currently you're in Australia, obviously. I am, yes. Um, but you weren't always. You lived in New Zealand for a time. I did. And you worked on something called – a little independent <laughs> project called Lord of the Rings. The Lord of the Rings, yeah. What the hell were you doing with those guys? Oh, look, it was a, it's funny, isn't it, how things work out like that? <laughs> like all the weird decisions I made that took me to New Zealand to work on Lord of the Rings. Um, what were you doing? Uh, I, I was actually painting Hobbit feet. Oh, my God, that's the best. <laughs> Sorry. I find I can't even say it without laughing. But I only did that for about a year and a half. And after that time... It's just like production line work. So it was fabulous experience, but not for me. It just wasn't, you know, you think those jobs are going to be creative because you're painting and you've got an airbrush and, you know, you're surrounded by other people doing tiny little sections of a big creative project. But, it, yeah, it wasn't enough for me. Um, But it was... uh, it was great to see how it works. It was great to be part of that particular project as well because it was just enormous mm-hmm. and so different, I assume, than how film industries work in other area in other countries too because it was very tight and everyone was friendly and they'd all hang out together and, mm-hmm. you know, go out afterwards. So it was pretty nice. How many feet did you paint? Oh, <laughs> I'd look... It feels like it was thousands. It probably wasn't. It was probably only hundreds. Did you give any um, of them I, like French manicures or you're like... Oh, they all got these amazing little like gloss on their toenails and mm-hmm. this incredible hair that got punched into the foam latex that was then curled and they went out looking just beautiful. But just like, to sort of stave nicer off than boredom, my own feet. did you like... You're like, okay, this one's going to get a corn and this one is going to have an ingrown toenail. And this one has a little bit of like scraped off. Like it's still, it's like almost scraped off fingernail polish. You didn't do any of that, did you? Oh, you know, I think I took myself far too seriously to do that. I wish I had of, but I think I was so caught up, you know, in my early twenties of not having found my place in the world. You know, I read that. You said that yeah. during that time before you discovered illustration, you didn't know where you belonged. No. I mean, that must be a very normal thing because that time of life is really hard when you haven't really known what you've got, you know. Yeah. And even in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, oh, it, it's sort of... sort of <laughs> It lingers. It lingers. <laughs> it, it really does linger. Mm-hmm. 
Um, although it is nice to find that there is one niche in the world that you can, sure. you know, you do fit in one niche in the world. And I guess until I found picture books, uh, there was this strange empty feeling like I had something, but I hadn't really found it. And a Hobbit feet didn't just didn't quite, quite feel that. Really, I'm shocked. <laughs> um, and I don't even know where my airbrushes are anymore. Actually, they've they've disappeared with all of that too. They were dropped into the pits of Mordor along we with got the ring. Fly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> got melted down to yeah. produce swords Gollum or something. Stole your airbrush yeah. set, <laughs> my precious. So you ended up getting into children's books with Two Summers. Yes. Right? And it was written by John Heffernan. Yes. Published in 2003 by Scholastic Press. Yes. And that was your first. Very Australian book. That was my first book. Yeah, and it was a really nice uh, it was a really nice story actually, or at least the way it came about was really nice because I'd sent some work to a new publisher at Scholastic Press. Margareta Lamond, and actually, look, the way I got into it was because a family friend had illustrated for Scholastic, mm -hmm. and he knew this publisher, Margareta, and I sent some work to him and met up with him, actually. My mum arranged it for me. We met up with him, and I showed him my work, and and, you know, he was really encouraging and, you know, he suggested I work a bit more. But then he called me the day after and he said, you know what, I think we'll just send your work to Margareta now. And he did that for me. He sent my work straight to her, which mm. was really, really nice. Yeah. I, I haven't ever done that for anyone. I feel really bad. <laughs> but what a thing to do for someone. Yeah. Well, Freya, so, I have. Anyway, so that, that makes one of oh, us. Oh, mm -hmm. you, you've done that. Yeah, oh, look, sure. Well, thank you for, for doing that on behalf of <laughs> Well, I knew you weren't going to do it. So I, I had to I had to do something. <laughs> I had to pick up the slack for Freya Blackwood. Yeah. Yeah. Because I have been slacking that. Oh, look, I'm not going to talk about that. Anyway. Well, I just want to say, though, yeah, as a, as a sort of an aside, for yeah. listeners who think that children's books need to be about, you know, cutesy unicorn related shenanigans. And there's nothing wrong with that. This book oh, is about this wasn't drought. That. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it was a funny one, actually, because it wasn't what I ever expected to be doing. But I found I really enjoyed thinking like a sort of seven year old boy. And right. there's one scene in the story where the father has had to. He's had to. It's a it's a farming story. Right. Uh, they they farm cattle. There's sheep in the book as well, and during a drought period, they go round and they check the cattle. And there's one particular mother cow, who has obviously come into trouble while birthing a calf, and he shoots this. You know, you mm -hmm. can see he's shot this cow, mm -hmm. and I, <laughs> and I. I tried to think what would boys do in that situation, like boys that were used to that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And I've got them with a stick drawing with the blood of the shot cow. I think I'm not sure if that's what they would do. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm not sure if that's even what I should have talked about <sighs> today. <laughs> no, please. Are you kidding? I've talked about but, way worse on this podcast. No, I'm kidding. Oh, okay. Um, I, but, yeah, I think that's something. What I, but I think, you know. I, that? I think so. Oh, look, if you're that used to that sort of stuff, and sure. these kids are, and that's the difference between growing up in a city and growing up in a, you know, on right. a property. Yeah. You just get used to seeing such different stuff. Well, you shared that, so I'll share this so we can be on even okay. keel here. Um, We're even. My parents, you know, my aunts and uncles and all came over from Italy, and they also brought over a lot of their farming practices. And so yeah. I remember going into my uncle's garage and seeing a bunch of rabbits tied up by their back legs bleeding out. Yeah, yeah and that's just normal stuff that, yeah. You, yeah, that you'd I see if you... wasn't scared. I no. knew that we were going to eat them later. Oh, look, I don't know. See, I haven't grown up on a property, but my daughter has uh, had a fair bit to do with my parents and their property. Right. So she's had... A, she's had a lot more connection to that yeah. sort of thing. And I think it's great for her. Yeah. Um, it gives a much better understanding of how we should be surviving and how we should be living. And I think the point um, here too is, you know, as with this discussion going around about children's books are for all children, that also includes geography. That's why like it doesn't, your, these children's books don't always have to be you know, cutesy suburban oh. lifestyle doing, you know, befriending a dog. And again, it's like, there's nothing wrong with that. If you want to do that, no. great. But if you want to do something like the first time you, this kid discovers, you know, that there, his uncle is bleeding out uh, rabbits for <laughs> Easter dinner, that can also be a children's book. Well, of course it can, because mm -hmm. it, it's teaching. Exactly. Other, about other people's lives. There you go. Which is, I think what all of this is about, isn't it? Yeah. I did not plan on talking yeah. about murdering farm animals. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I right. didn't either, actually. <laughs> Freya, let me take you by the hand. Let's get out of this uh, murderous farmscape. Go into some sunshine and were you unicorns. Were you nervous about illustrating that book, Two Summers? Or were you excited? Oh, I was pretty excited like it was a it was a it was a very good experience yeah. it was a very lucky experience and yeah I was probably nervous I don't know that was a long time ago you did say everything changed um, after that well I haven't looked for work since then wow really yeah I think it just started the ball rolling and I think it was also one of those things where I just happened to get work at a time where my work you know, I found my niche right. really easily and I know that doesn't happen for everyone. So I'm very, no. you know, I'm very grateful that that happened. It was, it was very fortuitous for me. You did say too that even though you've worked on, let's say more than 25 books, you <laughs> still feel like you're only getting started. Do you still feel that way? Oh yeah. I still feel like I don't really know what I'm doing, but that's Really? Maybe a lot to do with my personality. Oh, yeah. What What don't you know what you're doing? Oh, I just I think you forget what you've done. You forget. As soon as you've finished one, you forget that you did it, I think. It goes into a weird different realm. <laughs> like, I forget that kids see them and they're in schools and libraries. But that's more about my personality. Oh, look, I'm going to have to say here 
I have a very old dog, mm-hmm. and she might walk around a bit. And that's fine. It wouldn't okay. be the, it wouldn't be the first time a pet um, audio bombed <laughs> a podcast episode. It won't be the last. Yeah. Well, she's restless. Um, so, what were we talking about? Well, yeah. Look, I was just very lucky and took different books, and and I think you learn a lot taking stuff that you didn't really think you were ever going to do. So it wasn't totally planned, this career in children's books. Oh, look, I think I was giving it a go. I'd always mm-hmm. drawn, and I knew I liked drawing, but I'd never, I'd never studied it. And I never, I never assumed it would go this well. It's weird, isn't it? How, yeah, I think yeah. a funny thing, actually, when I was sort of trying to work out what to do, I remember my dad saying, this is quite, I'm not sure he'd like me telling people this. I remember he did say, well, you could just be a mum. Like, that's where I was at. <laughs> not that, and being a mum's amazing. Sure. But at that stage, I wasn't quite ready for that. Right. That wasn't very encouraging. Piffy, no, sorry. That's okay. No, just stay here. Come on. It's totally fine. I actually didn't hear that. Sorry. Oh, okay. Don't worry about no, it. No, she just scratches at doors to yeah, try and get through. It's 100%. I'm trying to scratch at, you yeah. know, at getting at answers here. So, you know, we're, we're oh, doing sorry. the same thing. No, I'm kidding. Kidding, kidding. Okay. Kidding. I'm focused now. Right. Well, for somebody who seems like you don't remember what you do, um, in 2010, you were honored with the Kate Greenway Medal for Harry and Hopper. Now, by the way, here's another book that's not cutesy unicorn-related shenanigans. Oh, it's yeah. about a boy who processes the death of his dog. Yeah. How did we get onto so many animal deaths? But yeah. we're here. And this is one of the things that makes illustrating a book so easy at times is just how beautifully written some stories are. And I feel that with Harry and Hopper. Mm-hmm. There's just parts of it that I read that totally undo me. And I guess that's what happened when I read that story. You know, we've all had those experiences of a pet dying Mm -hmm. uh, and it's just devastating. So I think that was a really bizarrely easy story to illustrate for me because I had so many memories of those experiences Mm -hmm. and I guess I'm a bit of a, I have a real soft spot for pets. <laughs> you know, when you win a Caldecott, they spring it on you. I don't know if you know that, but they call you at like oh, some godly hour of the morning. Yeah. And then when you pick up the oh. phone, it's like a group of people will shout like, congratulations and, and oh my stuff goodness. in your ear. Have they killed people by doing I that? I suspect they will at some point. Um, more or less, <laughs> that's what happens. Um, how did you learn about winning the, the Kate Greenway? Well, it was... It was yeah. It, that was a really weird one, to be honest. Um, I didn't even know it had been submitted for okay. the award. Right. And then I got this random phone call one day to say that it was shortlisted. So that was just the biggest thing that had ever happened to me. I think that that book had been shortlisted. Yeah, that's a big deal. And then sometime after that, I got a phone call to say it had won. <laughs> And look, it, it's still bizarre to me. Like it still does feel very strange because I th- think I was still very early in my career as an illustrator. So it sort of felt as though, oh, you know, I haven't even got there yet. I mean, it was the seventh year of your career, if my math yeah. is right. 
Yeah, which isn't very many years, is it? But I think it is that thing where the work was just right for the time. Right. You know, or something. Mm -hmm. Or it was good. How about that? Oh, look, I also do. It, It has a freshness, I think. It was a pretty hard time in my life when doing that job. So I think actually all the sort of <laughs> all my internal angst and sadness probably came out in the illustrations. What was this internal angst and sadness coming from, if you don't mind me oh, asking? Oh, well, I'd ended up a single parent with um, a young kid. It. So it was pretty hard, yeah. And I did all that work back in my parents' home, the, the bedroom I'd been in when I was about four. <laughs> So it was a pretty, um, it was, it felt kind of bleak. Right. Like, what am I doing here? This is yeah, what it's supposed like to be. Yeah, like what on earth has my life come to? And it really wasn't supposed to be like this. And and so this book just kind of poured out, I think. Yep. They do that sometimes. Do you still think it was a mistake that they gave you that medal? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm so grateful for it. All awards like that just make you feel as though you're in the right place and you're doing the right thing. Who knows what I said? I was probably all over the place. I think you were drunk. I'm pretty sure you were. It was a video I saw of you doing an interview. Oh, God, I was probably drunk. drunk. You were. Oh, I would have been. Oh, oh, shit. You said it was a mistake. (laughs) And the host was looking at you and looking at the audience like, I'm so sorry. We didn't know she was a drinker. (laughs) (laughs) I was drunk. I was probably very nervous. I'm really bad at public speaking. You're doing great right now. You're publicly speaking currently. Oh, thank you. Well, yeah, but, you know, no one's there. I can't see anyone. Hmm. So, you know, Hmm. I'm not very good at going out into the world. Why is that? (laughs) Just discomfort? Yeah, probably. It's a funny one, isn't it? Because we're... Like this job is very isolated, right? But too much isolation just isn't good. Right. So it's a funny balance, um, which I think is why. You came back from that job where you were working with a lot of people. Yeah, I was working with a lot of people, and goodness, it was amazing. Right. Just to be able to bounce ideas, and Mm -hmm. I'm working with this amazing animator, and we've just, you know, I she understands my work and what I was hoping for, and she's just done such a beautiful job. It's lovely having other people to sort of carry you, I think, like that. Sure. Um, So it's going to be a little bit tricky going back to working alone, but I'll be okay. (laughs) Don't worry. Your pigsty of a studio. (laughs) In my pigsty of a studio. (laughs) Speaking speaking of like your style, right? So if if I may, Mm. if I were to describe your work, I would say... It's like Elizabeth Zwerger, E.H. Shepard, and funnily enough, Kate Greenway, if you look at her work, um, somehow all had a child. That's how I see your work. That artistic child would create art like you were creating art. Well, okay. Here's how I see it, right? So, Elizabeth Zwerger, there is is like a, a melancholy yet visually comforting feel to your work mm-hmm. like Lizbeth Zwerger. 
Um, oh, e. look, H. Shepard I, has I love that. her work. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't, right? Mm. And then E. Mm. H. Shepard, there is a classical representationalism to your work that is very much E. H. Shepard. With Kate Greenway, a simplified, like deconstructed design mm. to if you look at her people. I mean, she was of the Victorian yeah. era. She was of the you know the same you know as like Walter Crane and uh, what is his name George Cruikshank and uh, Beatrix Potter after them and stuff. Uh, Caldecott. But if you look at her work, it's it's actually quite modern. Yeah, I see that. I see that sort of simplicity in their faces and things. The thing I think that really is the signature to your work. I I think I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Is I'm, I'm your, intrigued. Well, yeah. the, is obviously the loose drawing part. Yes. I, mean, I think that's um, something I realized with Harry and Hopper. Yeah. I felt like that was me. It's like, it's one of the rules that people seem to think you can't break. Don't show your drawing in your painting. And see, that's one of the things I've, I think is quite valuable. I totally agree with that. I mean, not only does it show, there's a, a life and a movement and an expression. Yeah with that but it also shows that it is part of a process and human and although yeah it's a human process exactly Mm -hmm. (laughs) i guess we're at that really uncomfortable position at the moment referring to yeah 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 um it's it's very uncomfortable isn't it (laughs) i i think being able to express your humanness yeah um is very valuable not your and plug guess, in keywordsness, stealing the yeah, art of other yeah. humansness. <laughs> so, you've illustrated stories by a number of different authors, Mem Fox being one of them. You've illustrated your own stories. Which one's yeah. harder? Oh, my own. What I love is solving other people's stories. <laughs> Where you've got that existing framework, I guess, and you can right. come in and the ending's ambiguous because they don't quite know either. And you come in and you go, oh, this is what I, this is how I'd like to end this story. And you put your own yourself into their writing, I guess. Right. Whereas when you're doing your own work, with the exception of a book that I think is coming out in the US, I actually don't know when. What's the title? Um, it's called The Boy and the Elephant. Okay. But it's a wordless book. That was a very exciting process for me to create a wordless book. Um, I, I, I just drew the story. So I think I discovered the best way for me to create my own books. Are you talking text- I, textually or visually? Yes. But, well, to create books that, uh, that I have written and illustrated. Yeah. And I think I'm getting there, which I'm pretty excited about. Don't you think you have an advantage over writers who aren't illustrators, even though they've studied writing and that obviously gives them Um, the advantage, but you are a visual thinker. And as an illustrator, you could draw through your writer's block or you can write through your creative um, block. Well, no, because I have, I, some of the books I've illustrated, that have really hit me hard, like beautiful stories. I don't think I could ever replicate that. I can't, I can't write that well ever. And I think 
the perfection of really well-written stories adds so much to to a book. Yeah. No, I know, I know. I'm not, yeah. I'm not yeah. dismissing what, they're, what writers do, but I do feel <laughs> a lot of illustrators, weirdly, you included? How is that possible? But okay, um, a lot of illustrators that I talk to want to write, but then the immediate second sentence after that, after I want to write, but I'm not a good writer. I don't think it's true 100% of the time. They say I'm not a good writer, and then we look at their writing, and all of a sudden we discover, yes, actually, actually you are. Yeah. Well, maybe also they've come up with a good idea, because I think fundamentally you've got to have a really good idea to make a good book. Hmm. Do you, though? I agree with you, but let's play devil's advocate for a second. Okay. Do you no, really I think have you to have do. a good idea? To make a, but it has to be... To make a really good book, I think you do. Like, there's a lot of, you know. Yeah, but there's like a book about. Okay, a, books. There's a book about, you know, a boy who befriends. Um, I'm going to stick to the unicorn theme tonight. Uh, a boy who befriends a unicorn in the backyard. It ends up becoming a really sweet book. But is it a good idea? Not well, it really. It be an amazing book. Like, uh, we're but talking it could be. about. Depending on, depending on how they write it. It could be. <laughs> what if the unicorn dies? <laughs> And the boy processes his grief <laughs> through the death of the unicorn. And uh, the last line of the book is, and we shall not have any more cutesy shenanigans. <laughs> that was the day I grew up. And you close the book and you see all the kids yeah, in the book crying. Yeah, but I don't crying. think that that's going to be a really amazing book. <sighs> oh, goodness. Does it exist already? And I've... Just oh, I'm like, sure it does. I'm sure we're really just, amazing. Somebody's book. listening and going like, "You <laughs> bastards! Those are, that's my book you're talking about." Really sorry about that. Maybe the illustrators who also do write very well just have that. You know, they've got a knack for it. Sure. I was listening to Anna Walker talk about this. Actually, she's an Australian author and illustrator, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I guess she started out as an illustrator, but also writes a lot of her own work. She says, <laughs> she said that she just makes sure that whatever she writes isn't embarrassing. And see, I've looked at her work and I've read her books and I think they're beautifully written. And I, I, I totally agree because I think whenever I've tried to write things, I have wondered just how embarrassing it is. Maybe that's what I'm feeling. Like, it doesn't have to be great to yeah, be good. Yeah, it just has to be not embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah, And I think what I'm trying to say is, what am I trying to say? I wonder and worry that people think that your idea has to be great. So they, they never get to actually writing anything that's good. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Because I think they don't have the next Caldecott winner. So therefore. Right. And by the way, how trying. do you know your idea is great? Sometimes I think you've got a feeling. Yeah, I guess. Don't you think? Yeah. Oh, I think everything I do is great. So, yeah, I know. <laughs> no, you have a Quite feeling when, when you know that something is going to work. And look, maybe it's not going to be a great idea, but even some... Okay, so I'm going to completely revise what I said before. Okay. I I'm keeping think... it all in, by the way. I'm not going to edit anything out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to revise what I said. Right. Because I think... Sometimes you, even the feeling of knowing that a story works is exciting. True for me, mm -hmm. and often it's because it has that punch in it 
and you just get that feeling and it's like, ah, oh, that works as a story. Thank yeah. goodness. Yeah. Yeah. If you find value in this podcast, please consider supporting it as a patron. Your support will help me keep the podcast on its weekly schedule. Patrons receive perks, including a reusable 10% off discount code, access to dozens of patron-only episodes, opportunities to provide questions for guests, a soft enamel pin with our logo, designed by me, and more. Become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash illustration D-E-P-T. And now, back to our conversation. Do you think imperfection has some something to do with this? Oh, look, I've embraced imperfection because with every book, I know that there's going to be something that I'm not happy with. So I've just got to embrace it. So then I went further and thought, well, look, nothing has to be perfect. You've just got to give the gist. And I think right. um, I actually think there's something to be said for that because I think it makes people look at the work and do a bit of interpretation as well. Right. And I think that's the best kind of illustration when you leave something for the mm. viewer to interpret. And it doesn't have to yeah. be with like loose drawing. It can be with negative space. It can be all sorts of ways, but. Yeah. Yeah. I, I This is something that I've been thinking about a lot over the past few weeks. And it's funny. It's like, you, you know, like I, I've known it, but I don't know. I feel like somehow Luke Skywalker all of a sudden, like I always knew you're my sister, but now <laughs> I realize you are. Um, imperfection in illustration and asymmetry. Now, there are yes. definite exceptions. Before people grab their pitchforks and jump into my mentions, there are exceptions to this. Chris Ware, for example, was a perfect example, although I can argue that the, the, he's not an exception. There aren't any. But whatever. I'll remain open to the possibility there are exceptions. The point is, perfection is often comes up in conversation. Yeah. This notion that things have to be perfect and polished and symmetrical. Because it's not, quote, right if it isn't. Mm. Often we find that like when you make it asymmetrical and you introduce imperfection, it truly gains life. Yes. And especially in picture books, because I think we always have to balance text as well. You, you're constantly working in an out-of-balance way, in a way. Right. Well, at least I think you do learn to constantly work so that you have this little bit of text on a page that balances the rest of the rest of something, if you know what I mean. I do. That's why when I did this book, The Boy and the Elephant, with no text, I found it quite challenging because I didn't have the text to balance. What's the credit? Does, it, does the credit say written by Freya Blackwood? Not sure, actually. I think it just says Freya Blackwood. Or... Of course. You get to a point in your career where written by and illustrated by go by the wayside <laughs> yeah you're that big freya i think it's just freya blackwood yeah of course it is and like yeah. 75 point type at the very top gold foil no with, with <laughs> no isn't that awful no holographic foil so when you move the book the it like <laughs> <laughs> no see if it was on the me back cover. i'd put it like i'd put it like a painter's initials just an FB down the bottom, really quiet. That's what I'd like. <laughs> That's actually be kind anyway. of it. Yeah, but you'd piss off. It'd be nice, folks, don't you think? If you did that. 
Oh, I would be. totally piss them off. Yeah. So some sales and marketing is like <laughs> they would fire the designer because they think the designer forgot to put your name on the cover. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which has happened. I've, I have, uh, I've seen that happen where a book routed without the author's credit on the cover and it wasn't wow. caught until the very last How's minute. How is that possible? I don't know. I don't know. And I'm not going to name names. I don't Ooh, want to ah. add anybody, but Ooh. I've definitely seen that. I think my book is coming out with Penguin. Oh, Penguin US? In Yes. Oh, my old So peeps. you used to work for them? Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was an art director for a bunch of years over okay. there. Okay. Right. Uh, which imprint? Let me guess. Dial. Mm, I think it's Penguin Studio. Nice. Did you know? Do you know what John Heffernan said about your illustration for two summers? I think he thought that the greens weren't green enough. Is that one of the things he thought? And look, I totally get that because I had a real problems. <laughs> I have a problem with greens. What is your problem with greens? They're There's really too many hard of them. to work with. They are. There are. <laughs> they are really hard to work with. Why does it feel like there are more green options than there are any other color? I think that's true. Yeah, there probably are. I guess it's because you can have a blue-red, a red-blue, and you can have a, oh, I, I don't know. There's a wider spectrum of green I don't know. than any other color. Because I, I don't know anything about this sort of thing. Like, I didn't study it, so I just kind of learn with various jobs, but I have never learned greens. Never. Well, I feel I'm... like I stuff it up every time. Well, he didn't and say I'm anything. Okay I, I don't know what he's. I don't know about the green situation. Oh. I do know what he said <laughs> what did he was say? <laughs> that he thought you reduced his text to a quote absolute essence. Oh, wow. with your wonderfully gentle illustrations. Oh, that's much nicer than. And then he thinking. said, "You suck at green." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that. <laughs> <laughs> Look. That book, I did have to learn on the fly with that book. And when you have an amazing publisher or mm -hmm. editor, it really helps. So I sure. kind of got taught everything on that book. I I was living in New Zealand and New Zealand is green, really green. Mm -hmm. And Australia at the time wasn't at all. So I came back and, you know, visited properties and, right. um, you know, I, I did some good research do you say properties when out. you mean farms? Farms, yes. Yeah. Sorry, you've probably got a totally different word for it. Um, I well, don't know why I say properties. Well, because you're Australian and that's yeah. what you say. That's fine. Um, yeah, farms. No, you could say properties. I just, I'm, that's something I just learned. <laughs> yes. I was talking to two illustrators today. Yeah. Both of them are struggling with their artistic identity and with their efforts to make a living as an artist. Yeah, it's hard. They didn't outright say, what's the point? Or I'm better off herding sheep on properties. But you can sense that's how they feel. Yeah. I've been in an interesting situation because I was a single, I have, I'm a single parent. I had to decide early on whether I was going to really work hard as an illustrator and try and earn enough money to, you know, to keep us going or whether I was going to go off and find something else. And it kind of worked at that time where everything 
snowballed a bit and I had enough work and enough money from that to survive, which I do think is um, – I, I think that's – I don't know how unusual or how normal that is. I, I feel as though if I, I wouldn't change that, like I wouldn't go and retrain and <laughs> I don't want to change that at all. I feel like I've I've created things and I think that's infinitely more satisfying than, you know, to take a job that just earns money. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah I, I think having created something is a you know it's a wonderful feeling and it's look I think it's one of the most amazing art forms also picture books agreed it's got an audience that is just delightful and they get so much from it and I can't I don't think you can undervalue that right and ever renewing by the way yeah and you know a good book can really last for a very long time and kids remember it um, parents remember right. it. I don't think earning more money is worth it, to be honest. So I'd suggest that your students should, you know, just keep going. That's what I tell them. But, you know, yeah. you know, it's like easy for you to say, you know what I mean? I mean, that's, that's a, that kind of, that kind of piece yeah. of yeah, that, that I advice totally get it. is, is, um, Oh no, I was just thinking also about my daughter who's now 16, nearly 17. She composes music and she's at that point at the moment where she thinks, do I go and study composition or do I just do something that would be a whole lot easier? <laughs> and, of course, I can see those two sides. Like, do you do you make your life just a little bit more complex and hard and, you know, and go through the ups and downs of, of a job that, a job that's unusual and, and, and difficult, or do you go for the easier option? And, of course, I wanted to be a composer. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what I would yeah. want for my daughters yeah. as well. I just, yeah. um, I don't know. I hear myself talking sometimes, and I know what I'm saying is good, solid advice. But it still sucks. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Well, you know it comes with some difficulties, Right. And I don't want it to, but I guess it's not up to me. It just is what it is. Yeah. And it's also, I think people reach a level where they've got the ability to keep working in this area. They've got a partner who can support them or, you know, they can live frugally. And in which case they might get through that initial stage where it's hard to earn money or they go, oh, you know what? I'll just leave that as a hobby. And you know what? I don't think that's a problem. Go on. Well, I one of the bits of advice that was given to me early on <laughs> was it's okay if what you love doing is your hobby, not the way you earn money. I don't Sound think there's advice. anything wrong with that. I agree. I think, you know, if if the stress of of it being your full-time career is too much you know just love it don't make it something you hate doing see again i totally agree with that and yet i can just hear someone (laughs) saying well easy for you to say inside you (laughs) yeah i guess can't get rid of it yeah 
It's like easy for you to say, Freya. This is all I know how to do. This is all I know how to do. But that is the thing. This is all I know how to do. Like, I don't know what else to do. So, you know, I'll be coming to you when I need a change. Oh, that's easy. Um, Just be yourself. Keep doing what you're doing. Done. (laughs) But it's also that thing where I think we have to constantly develop. And I think if you're not developing artistically, it you do get to a point where it can become a bit mundane. It feels to me like what you and I are circling around and we're not just saying it out loud, but I think we need to say it out loud is yeah. when do you end your career oh. before it begins, your illustration career? I think maybe you set yourself a timeline and you say, I'm going to give this a go for two, three four years seven ten it doesn't feel seven ten (laughs) no seriously i mean there are plenty of illustrators i guess it depends what else who've gone on for a long time right and then finally made it after 10 years tommy napala being one of them ah maybe you need to introduce something else too i don't know i didn't have that problem see it took a you know i think maybe it took me two years of dabbling and creating things um, right. I'm with you. And I'm in the same boat as before, you. Yeah. It did not take yeah. me. It took me negative time to get into mm. like the field that I loved. I, I got a job as a design assistant at Simon & Schuster before I even graduated from college. Yeah. And yeah. the minute I graduated, picked up my stuff, moved to New York, done. So it took yeah. me zero So we time. were lucky. Right. So I don't know how it feels, but I do know how it sounds when I'm talking to like a lot of the illustrators I work with, they know how it feels. Yeah. You know, yeah. like the people today, back to back artists, both were saying the same thing. Like, I'm trying. And yeah. I don't know, I don't know if what I'm doing is any good. To which I then say, well, of course it is. Here's why it's good, X, Y, and Z. Well, then why aren't I getting the attention of agents or art directors? Is it also that there are so many people? trying to do this work too it does feel like whenever i tell someone what i do they go oh my goodness that must be so amazing you know you get to work from home and draw pictures Mm. so maybe lots of people are trying this work when there's just a limited amount of um mind you there's a lot of books that come out every month yeah but But i mean there are a lot of people who try it but that doesn't mean all of them are equally good no, of Many course. Many of them aren't. And also, I think publishers are very hesitant to take up new creatives too. Yeah, I guess aren't so. Aren't they? I don't know. I don't know. It um, makes sense, but then again, how could we possibly know what all the publishers are doing or thinking? Yes. Yeah, see, I'm pretty isolated, actually. <laughs> I don't know what's going on anywhere. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about, Freya? <laughs> um, no, I'm, I, I'm quite isolated from... From the industry, I think, because I'm just at home and I don't meet up with other illustrators or, you know, I'm four hours from Sydney, so, mm-hmm. and nowhere near Melbourne. So yeah. I, you very expertly dodged my question. How oh, does oh, how God, does an sorry. illustrator know? Yeah. At what point do you quit? Maybe you did answer it. Like, oh, at what point do you quit before you start? I, I think you must intuitively know I think and so you, too. you've either got the passion for something to keep going, or you go, you know what, this is going to kill me. 
that's the evident part. Like you can see it in their face. They're just like, like they've lost that loving feeling. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that all those skills and knowledge can't be redirected to something else. Also true. Surely. Yep. Yeah. And it also doesn't mean that you could, you can't come back to it or that you can't. Yeah. I don't think it's such a dire situation because we can have lots of passions in life. I'm so glad to hear you say that. I'd like to be a farmer, to be honest. I just want to learn to ride a horse and herd some cattle. That sounds amazing Uh, to me. Seriously. (laughs) It does, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And I'm the grandson of a sheep herder, so I'm not being I'm not being like (laughs) hipster ex Brooklynite, like all I want to do is be a farmer. Like I fucking came from farmers. So yeah, that does sound amazing to me. No, I love the feeling my parents have a property out of town and I just love the feeling of going and looking after things. Oh, it's fantastic. But I but the other thing is I don't think I could ever stop drawing and painting so what i recently discovered is i just love landscape painting Mm -hmm. and for me it's just a way of med it's a meditative oh my god freya i swear to god i'm so happy to hear you say that because that is literally what i said to one of the illustrators i was like i think you need to take a little breather and i think you literally and i gave her the assignment was you may not create anything for instagram or for your portfolio just Go outside, take walks, sit down, draw for 10 minutes. That's it. Yeah, I think also Instagram's just the worst because it makes you think that everyone's doing this amazing stuff and you're not. And Which I, obviously yeah. is not true. Yeah, I, I don't mind posting things, but I – oh, what do I say? I don't know. I find it I, – I do have to have breaks from Instagram because it – it does make you feel a little bit shit about yourself. It does, if you let it. But I think going out and just painting and finding other ways to fulfill that need to create something. Mm-hmm. And I do think we some people have that. We Some people just have this need to make something. Yeah. So I think that's, I think that's good advice for anyone who's struggling to get into illustration. Right. You know, like just remove um, the commercial part of it, remove it absolutely. just for a minute, just for a minute. Just like remember yeah. when you used to create art for the, you know, fun yep. of it. And remove the impressing other people part of it as well. Absolutely. Because that's never going to make you feel good in the long run. When I was looking through your body of work, I, I kept going back to like just the voices in my head from all of the editors I used to work with who would look at your work and I could just hear them say, oh, I don't like dot eyes. Kids aren't going to understand the expressions of your characters with dot eyes. Or can she erase the drawing? Is that on purpose? (laughs) Or it's a little dark. I don't think kids like dark things. You you literally break every damn rule and you're doing it wonderfully and beautifully. Oh, thank you. Look, I think the other thing is I I have a sneaking suspicion that I do my work mostly for myself. <laughs> I don't think I do it to um, to please the audience. Because it's fairly honest work, I think it finds an audience because people can feel the same feelings that I felt 
when I've been creating it right. or in response to a, um, a story. But I'm not very good at doing what people want me to do just because it will appeal to um, a market. Nor should you be. And also, this this is my way of expressing myself and it's my style. Uh, so, yeah, I, I own that. <laughs> and I take the, you know, I take the bits that people don't like with that, you know. Do you, ever get, do you ever get pushback on any of that stuff? No. Good. I don't think so. I'm trying to think about that. I, and it's funny, I just disagree with some of that as well. Like I think my characters do have dot eyes, but I think that you can, there are so many ways to show expression. Oh, no, those are, um, those are three ridiculous yeah. things I've, I actually have heard over the years. Yeah, you don't yeah. do dot eyes, you know, you can't see the drawing and don't make it dark. Oh, look, that's just life though, isn't it? Exactly. I think dark things happen in life. It's good to see the process. Life is just process. <laughs> and I enjoy finding ways to draw characters so that you can see how they feel. Like I think that's sort of fundamentally what I do. What I like about um, your style is that it, if to me it just feels, it does not feel static at all. It truly feels like you've captured not only that one pose, the pose that you see, the main one, but you've captured through like just those lines, like you're finding the form through your drawing and you can see yeah. it. But then it's funny when you remove all of those lines, it feels lifeless. A little bit. And you captured like the five seconds prior and the five seconds after the pose that you see. That's yeah. what I love about And your you drawing. know, that came about, and you've probably read that this somewhere, but that came about um, with Harry and Hopper when I did a rough drawing for the opening spread for the book. And I just knew I was never going to be able to draw it again as well as I did. So I just used the rough drawing. Yep. Uh, and that's the, that's the difficult thing with illustration, isn't it? And working by hand is that those roughs, you know, they're always better than the final works. Oh, my gosh. Isn't um, that always true? Without fail. Without I know. Fail. It's so upsetting. <laughs> Truly. The bottom line is, for everybody listening, just create art. The way you damn want to create oh, yeah. art, just do yeah, it the way absolutely. you want to do it. For God's sake! But I think I think then if the audience picks up on that feeling Agreed. that it's authentic and personal, and it's got life and reason and everything behind it. Yeah, maybe you know something like know. that. I do know. <laughs> I actually know that, Fred. <laughs> One of the few things I do know, actually. You. So um, we do have a lot of uh, illustrators listening in, and um, what would be one piece of advice, one last thing that you would want to say to them directly as they go off after the end of this episode and create the art they want to create? I, look, I, I, <laughs> um, I think we've probably talked about it a little bit in – I don't I don't think things ever have to be perfect. And like we said also, I think being able to put yourself and your personality into work makes it infinitely more unique. To learn more about Freya and her books, visit freyablackwood.com.au. This podcast is produced by the Illustration Department, a global leader in online education for illustrators. 
visit illustrationdept.com for class offerings, testimonials, the alumni showcase, the podcast show notes, our forum, the bookshop, and more. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.